the Brighton Festival Fringe, an eventful Brighton podcast. I'm um, having a beer with Adrian Bunting. Hello, Adrian. Hello. Now, Adrian, um, in case anyone hasn't heard of you, just uh, let's start off by um, letting you explain to everyone who you are. Well, I've been based in Brighton for a number of years. I would most likely be recognised for having started the Zinc Bar, which was a very popular uh, performance platform uh, that ran for about six, seven years. The Zinc Bar? The Zinc Bar, yeah. Um, In various places. Its height was at the old basement. And lots of performers started off there, right? So I kind of got a ground a lot of people know me in Brighton for starting that off really so you are Brighton based yes I've been since yeah, for years. I wasn't wasn't born here but came here to college and stayed like everyone else and tell us about some of the other things you've done because I think you're being a bit modest here well I've directed Joe Neary I've written plays and been doing stuff get my foot in uh, all the time also travelled a bit been to Antigua and Africa lived over there for a number of years and i uh, come back to put on my new show Campbell's right, which has been a burning in the back of my head for years that I really ought to put on a really decent production of this show. And I uh, spent two years writing it, and uh, this is the culmination. And just tell us the story uh, behind uh, Campbell's Riot. In 1809, there were two royal theatres. One of them burnt down, and then the other burnt down. And they rebuilt Covent Garden at great expense. And the guy in charge, John Philip Campbell, uh, to pay for the rebuilding, uh, put the prices up. There were more complicated issues than that, which uh, I don't deal with in the play, but that's the nub of it. And even though it was a private theatre, the public took umbrage. And to our mind, did a very bizarre thing, but went down and rioted for 66 nights consecutively in the theatre, shouting, screaming, singing, dancing, (laughs) not letting the show go on. Okay. Until eventually, and it, the, the, the theatre backed down and put the prices down. I mean, it's, this, it's a story that, at the time, was covering all, all the media. All the newspapers were around it, even though they were all with, with France. Right? The front pages were all about the old price riots that came to be known. Because, really, theatre was so important to people's lives. There, it's hard to imagine. No other entertainment, really. Music... Uh, of course, being one, uh, visual art and theatre were the only things really going on. So it was, it was fundamental to people. And that's kind of what drew me to the story. It's like, if you like theatre, and I kind of thought, this is a wonderful story to tell, to show people how brilliant theatre can be. Not only, and explain that re- fundamental interaction between audience and crowd which I think a lot of theatre now fails to address. I get the impression many plays are written actually because they want to be film scripts, right, or screenplays. Yes, I read about that on your website. Yeah, it's, it's, it's because people want a career in writing. Uh, most people want a career in film writing. Theatre's a very easy route in, very cheap way of, of getting stuff seen. But, of course, film has got that fourth wall. There's no interaction. So you see plays that really are films, right, on the stage and missing the whole point, of that, the beautiful relationship between the two audience and performer. This play, I hope, uh, takes that relationship to a, a whole new level. 
I mean, it cannot be a film. There's the, the discussion, the dialogue between the audience and the, and the, and the stage performers is so fundamental. The audience actually are part of the cast. Well, this is what I find so fascinating. Is it? Can you tell us a bit more about that without spoiling the play? I can. Um, I, I understand people hear that and they get a bit frightened about audience inter- inter- participation. Are oh, they? Are they? Are. And a lot of the time, it's uh, done really ham-fistedly. And when individuals are picked out, that's a dreadful thing. It's embarrassing. People aren't used to it. They don't want it. However, there is a very good precedent in theatre for getting a crowd to uh, act as one. And that's if you look at Panto. Now, if you look at Panto, when the baddie comes on, everyone boos. All right? And it's a joyous moment. It's a real bonding of an audience together. People like it, people know the code. So, you very rarely go to a theatre and find anything like that outside of Panto. So, when I say audience participation and that the crowd is playing a part, all they're doing is chanting and singing and shouting en masse, which is a bonding exercise, you know, and it uh, should make for a much more dramatic uh, event. And how are you achieving this? I've got two... You, there's two sides to the audience. There's the uh, king's side and the prince's side, as all, all old theatres used to have. And um, there's an audience leader on each side who will basically be guiding and uh, acting as a conductor for their half of the audience. Initially, half for for the rises, half for against, and then they all rise together to uh, play the real rising role. That's pretty cool. Now, tell us about um, some of the people in the play, the cast. The cast I've got, uh, I can't quite believe my luck, but I sent the script to George Dillon, who's a um, brilliant, brilliant stage actor. Doesn't do much ensemble work anymore. Uh, very fussy on what he, what he does and doesn't do. He loved the play. He used to be Stephen Burkhoff's uh, favourite actor. Uh, all Stephen Burkhoff's plays used George Dillon. And uh, amazingly, he... Loved the play, was desperate to do it. On the back of him, I've got Steve North from London's Burning, and who's did Fever Pitch, very famous locally. Alex Childs, who's a superb actress. And if anyone can remember, wonderful theatre group called In Toto. I managed to persuade Julie Nash to come from Barcelona, where she runs a theatre company over there, to come and join us for for, for this week. So it's, yeah, it's a cast of my dreams, and it's going brilliantly. And how have rehearsals been going? Uh, just a joy, an absolute joy. It's um, strange when you get this two things. One, the excitement of, of seeing a thing come together. And especially when you've got brilliant actors reading your words back to you, I can really think of no greater pleasure. Can't wait to share it with the rest of the world on a Friday. Now, tell me what you do during the day. Well, I'm a construction manager, which means I run big building sites. Uh, yeah, telling construction workers what to do all day long that's a bit different from being a playwright isn't it it is it is over the years people have tried to sort of like equate the two and find parallels I suppose you know if there's anything it's being able to communicate with people of all levels from architects to to building site labourers and then trying to have the same attitude on stage and being able to talk to everyone so I think that's probably the only uh, parallel you can draw and what do your peers think of you being uh, being uh, sort of like you know when you're not at the building site being a sort of playwright? Well, the Guardian reading t- uh, Earl Grey t- tea drinking 
building site manager is um, generally regarded as a bit of an eccentric, I think. But uh, yeah, there's, a, there's quite a few coming to the show. Uh, the subjects of the, you know, the common man rising up, uh, big business, uh, making people pay for their mistakes. I think these are all quite you know, resonant at the moment. And um, I like theatre to be as inclusive as possible. The more people that I get to come and see a show for the first time, the happier I am. What's it like being a playwright? I mean, are you constantly getting ideas? Do you, do you drop them down or do you sort of stick to sort of main projects? I, I just mostly rubbish ideas that you have to eliminate as quickly as possible. Uh, finding the, the real ones that really... As soon as you find one, then you know it has to be what you, you write. Lots of people have got different agendas. My thing, the thing that kind of describes my work, is this conversation between audience and performer. That I find fascinating. I find it underused and um, all my work's been about that relationship and I've tried to push it in various ways I invented the world's smallest theatre and uh, took it to Edinburgh uh, how big was it? it was my bedside cupboard right, which translated basically one audience member would have that box put over their head and then three actors would put peer inside and uh, scare the pants off them <laughs> which was uh, another kind of form of this uh, constant playing and with, this, with how it can be perceived, uh, how an audience should be treated or uh, looked after. And, uh, yeah, this is, uh, I think, the culmination of it all. You know, 20 years of kind of work, this is the, the ultimate. Just out of interest, how long, how long has this play been in your head? In my head, about seven years. Uh, it's taken two years to write. Uh, 11 drafts craft I, I think it's it's crafted to perfection now I mean obviously there's going to be mistakes in it but uh, it's as good a job as I can do on it so it's certainly not a rushed piece of work and can you tell us uh, where and when it's playing I can indeed it's um, Friday, Saturday and Sunday the 13th, 14th and 15th of May starts at 7.30 it's just an hour long uh, the old courtroom which is a lovely little venue uh, right in the middle of the theatre zone of, of Brighton just off Church Street and uh, yes I highly recommend coming Adrian Bunting thank you very much indeed and thank you very much great thanks for listening to the Brighton Festival Fringe podcast please visit the website for the show at eventfulbrighton.org subscribe on iTunes to search for Brighton Festival Fringe podcast visit the Fringe website at www.brightonfestivalfringe.org.uk the music is by We Are Swift at www.myspace.com slash weareswift. And the podcast is produced by Wireworld Media at www.wireworldmedia.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Oh, 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 o